This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mine, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On this episode, I get to chat with Mark Williams, a dad who went through paternal postpartum depression and is now an amazing advocate for dad's perinatal mental health. He is sharing with us some of his own story and how he's getting the word out as a speaker around the world. He's from the UK, but recently spoke in Melbourne, Australia at the Marseille Society Conference. And today I get to speak with him from Seattle, where he's speaking on maternal mental health with PSI. Mark is the International Father's Mental Health Day founder and is well qualified in mental health through his own personal experience of panic attacks and postnatal depression following the traumatic birth of his son, a mental breakdown in 2011, living with ADHD, and the extensive training he has undertaken in mental health. He's also experienced the difficulty of trying to support his wife, Michelle, who suffered severe postnatal depression while being unwell himself. Mark is now an ambassador of the World Health Innovation Summit, He is now also a motivated speaker for people who want to better themselves from bad times in their lives. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here with us today. Thanks, Kat. Thanks for asking me. Yes. I'm very, very excited to have you here today because, you know, as we were just chatting about briefly before we got started, there's so few dads who are talking about their experience and so few people who actually know that fathers go through their own stuff during this period of time. And yeah. you're out there in the world telling everybody about your story. And it's so great. Oh, thank you. No, it's something that um, I just felt that we had to make, make awareness, me and my wife, you know. So I, I thank my wife also for letting me share her story as well. So, yeah, it just needs to be told, really. So what happened? How did you come to this work and being an advocate? What happened? Yeah, if I'm honest, I didn't know nothing about mental health in 2004. Really uneducated about uh, mental health. The pregnancy was fine, nothing wrong with the pregnancy. We had a nice house, you know, good jobs, everyone planned. But it was actually at, in the labor ward, things started to change to the point that after 22 hours labor, I remember the doctors coming in, rushing in, and they said, 
So Williams, your wife's got an emergency section now. Mm-hmm. And instantly, I had my first ever panic attack. I was worried about my wife. I was worried about the baby. Sure. And that's the thing, you know, you're witnessing your loved ones go through this trauma. And what I witnessed, I didn't know what was happening to me. What I was told later on, I, had, I actually had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, sitting here on my end, it's understandable that something that shocking would kind of send you into some type of panic. Right. So that was the kind of the beginning of your experience? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, after that, then my wife went onto the ward, Michelle, and instantly she wasn't, there was something wrong. You know, I could tell by her eyes and, you know, and she was very clingy to me, very, uh, wouldn't let me go. And after about three days, my wife went home and that's when our hell really started, really. That's all I can say, really. It was, uh, my wife was diagnosed really quickly with uh, severe postnatal depression to the point that really she should have had a, a mother and baby unit. She mm-hmm. didn't have peripheral psychosis, but obviously she wanted to harm herself, kill herself to a point where she, she never made a plan. She wasn't Michelle I knew at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, things got worse. And um, what it was, and I, I had to give up work then for six months. Mm-hmm. So now there was no money coming in. I was self-employed. Mm. I have to look after my wife, who I obviously really, really love and still love today. And obviously the baby, then the stigma around it, couldn't tell my friends, couldn't tell my, you know, anyone to share that. And I was worried to actually tell my wife, Michelle, how I was feeling because I didn't want it to affect her mental health any worse, you know. So I, I really mm. kept it myself. So it's, things obviously developed then. Yeah. And uh, I was having, first time, well, what I know now was depression. And I was having suicidal thoughts around about the four to five months mark, you know. And mm. yeah, I remember just walking down the road in my city centre and a bus came in towards me and I thought if I hit, the bus hits me, at least I won't have this agonising thoughts going through my mind. I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to make a plan. I just want my mind from racing to stop, you know. And uh, yeah. yeah, so it was, yeah, it was a bad time. It got pretty bad for both of you very quickly. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, there was many factors that uh, caused my depression, but I think it was a case of looking after my, my wife. You know, it was really hard, you know. And everyone's, everyone's depression is totally different, you know. Like, it's not one family goes through the, exactly the same, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, but certainly it was a bad time for me and my wife. And, I, you know, I started to drink then. I, obviously, my family in the family circle came involved. So I had a lot of support as well. A lot of families haven't got that support, unfortunately, as well. So, you know, I did benefit from um, family support. I was starting to drink then. That was my coping skill. Right. So, you know, my personality was starting to change as well. My mates, you know, when I did get, manage to get a house, which wasn't, wasn't very much in the, in the first year, you know, it was a case of like my personality started to change when I was, could be kind of angry as well, you know, very angry. And I'm not that sort of person either. Anyone who knows me, I'm very laid back normally. To the point I remember, um, you know, punching the sofa and, and breaking my hand. I was even starting fights with doormen. Mm-hmm. They wanted to hit me, you know, so I, I wouldn't have these, these thoughts. In a way, what we know now is self-harming in a sense, in a different way, you know, which is another topic, you know. But yeah, it, it was really bad time. It was a case of like, I didn't realize how bad it was until you actually came out of it as well, you know. I think my kickboxing was the thing that my physical health was really well up to that point, you know. Mm-hmm. Never had any mental illness, never had any depression. I was very motivated in my job at the time as well, you know. So, yeah. you know, to have depression in the first 12 months, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was really hard, really hard time. Wow. So how did you figure out that something was up, that things weren't right? Yeah, well, I didn't actually uh, go to the doctors. I just carried on and carried on. My wife 
was lucky enough to have a, a good nurse, the only specialist service in Wales. So something good came out of that as well. It was called NHS Prams, which is an organisation for mothers going through postnatal pressure. So some, like, something good came out of that already then. Because my wife's, you know, the services, it was nothing for my wife at, at that time. Wow. A lot good at the moment. Getting a lot better in the UK now. And so yeah, yeah, I just carried on, carried on, carried on. And it wasn't until about five years after, really. I kept it contained in my box, if I'm honest. The only way you can describe it. Right. But unfortunately, my mother had cancer. And I lost my grandfather with dementia within six weeks. Oh my gosh. So yeah, after Christmas. So what happened then? I couldn't contain that box any longer. I couldn't keep the lid on it. Yeah. And the depression came back even worse this time. And yeah, I didn't know what was happening one day. It was leading up to the breakdown. I wanted to sign myself in into a secure unit, keep myself safe. Mm-hmm. I carried on, carried on, carried on, thinking, oh, today, tomorrow will be better. And uh, yeah, in October 2011, which is five years exactly to the day, more or less, I had a full breakdown. Yeah, I just couldn't get out of the car, anxiety. Yeah, so fortunately, I had my phone on me because my suicidal thoughts were starting to get really deep now. You know, I was having more thoughts every day. Yeah. And like I said, and it still never made a plan, but I was just getting a bit of comfort in a way. It's hard to explain really, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I was in a real dark place. I remember, you know, phoning up, you know, finding on Google mental health services. Mm-hmm. And I took the first call because I, I honestly feel that if it wasn't for my son, I possibly could have gone on and, and done something, you know, really bad where I was to save my life. Yeah. But fortunately, I did, you know, get in touch with the GP and I went to the GP. I was put on medication and then I put on a counselor list then. Unfortunately, the counselor list didn't come. The counselor didn't come off the services. Oh. But I took it on. Yeah, yes. And I'm still waiting for the phone call now today. What? Which is five years later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my is, Yeah, I know, yeah. But fortunately, um, I went private. I learned about CBT. I learned about mindfulness. And I was replacing positive coping skills instead of the negative ones, which I already used any sort of uh, any stress, you know. So I, I would start to educate myself about mental health now as well. And it wasn't until, um, funny enough, how things happen. In a gym one day, I was in a gym waiting, you know, getting myself well. To, I was actually working in a hospital now. I changed my career within this time. And uh, it was a gentleman in the gym. And I said, oh, can I borrow the weights? And he said, yes, no problem. I've got to go to NHS Prams Hospital. And I said to him, what's NHS Prams? You know, I'm just, just curious. I work in the hospital. And he said, well, my wife got postnatal depression, postpartum depression. So I said, oh, never. I said, um, I said my wife had that too, Michelle. So we started talking side by side and instantly I found out that Brian actually witnessed his father, unfortunately, take his life Mm. and he contained it in his box for 20 years. He had had his own business. He had his own, you know, he had his own business house, everything he had, you know, Mm -hmm. going really well. And when his wife had post-depression, that's when he had a breakdown himself. And Brian, unfortunately, is still in services today. You know, he's in his 50s now. So, I, you know, I was so curious so I, and I found out there was nothing for fathers. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs. What they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. 
I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah. And, um, you know, so um, that's when it all really started. I wanted to be a more family-focused service rather than, than just, you know, mothers, really. So during that time, had your wife had support and treatment? Yeah, she was uh, very, she had really good support because it was really, uh, there weren't much out there, but lucky enough, the lady who was my CPA, my community nurse, she really took interest and, and she wanted Michelle actually to be a public speaker when she was better in the antenatal classes. Uh-huh. That was in 2004. Uh-huh. And it's funny that I'm doing that today now. And uh, Michelle, yeah. obviously, my wife is working in mental health. So we've both taken a career change. But uh, yeah, it was it was really unknown for them, really, that somebody with severe post depression was coming knocking on their door too. Mm-hmm. Because um, what I found is, like, we were worried about social services being involved. We were worried about a lot of factors as well. So we did, and obviously the stigma, I think, especially yeah. back then, still today, you know, still a lot of people not going forward. It is uh, true. But uh, yeah, my wife was well. So unfortunately, in 2012, my wife's, Michelle's uh, depression came back after looking after me this time. So that's the only reason why I do campaign to get a more family focused because we need to early prevention. It needs to be all treated, and that's the mother, the father, and the surrounding family as well. Because obviously the family are going through it as well. So yeah, it, you know, it just goes to show that you know I've come across that mothers actually are well and the fathers are struggling, and this is impacting on the mother's mental health. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the recent statistics is that if mom is depressed, dad is 50% more likely to be depressed also. And that's a huge number. Absolutely. That's a very, very big number. And yeah, I really love that you're bringing this perspective to be looking at the whole family because I think maybe, I don't know how the medical system is where you are, but here for sure, we're sort of treated in parts in separate ways. So, you know, the OB, the gynecologist, they treat one thing and, and the pediatrician treats one thing. And so nobody's looking after the whole, everybody. 
So this perspective is really, really needed, that this is a system and what's going on for one person is impacting everybody potentially. Absolutely. I think birth trauma actually in men, when I've, and that's the thing I've been lucky enough to have, you know, fathers open up to me. I think one reason is because obviously they know I've gone through the experience as well. And communication, I found, is a massive to bring open his, his fathers up uh, about they, um, what they're going through. I found that the fathers were really struggling. You know, fathers were history of depression before they become fathers. You know, they need to be monitored. There's fathers yeah. who have conditions like ADHD, like myself, Asperger's, you know, there's loads of, uh, you know, conditions that uh, can actually, you know, when it comes to fatherhood, it's such a stressful time, as we know, the change. And also, you know, if you've got a partner who's got post-depression, obviously that's got a, got a massive impact on your mental health. You know, yeah. if, uh, if, if you're trying to, you know, before you become a fatherhood, you know, you're already struggling to, you know, keep well, you know, so it's mm-hmm. got a massive impact. And also like fathers who, um, you know, maternal OCD, you know, which is not talked about fathers, you know, actually thinking the same as the mother, you know, mm-hmm. as well, you know, they suffer from OCD, maternal OCD and, you know, check in, check in. And, uh, you know, there's, there's fathers I've spoke to actually, you know, I've, how would I put it, um, witnessed so much in the birth, in the labor ward, that when they have a second child, they are in antenatal anxiety on the second child because they're fearing that it may happen again. And they've got to go into the labor ward where, as we know, even the smell can trigger off uh, PTSD or trauma or whatever. So more education needs to be done, especially around this field, in not just for the father, but for the mother, for the whole family. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a lot of people don't, like you were saying, don't talk about birth trauma very, very few fathers are talking about their mental health at all, but certainly not birth trauma. And I think in in part, some of the difficulty is, as you were describing, if mom's not doing well, or and or something's going on with the baby, you're sort of, typically, it seems like the men are focusing on just getting through and taking care of and whatnot. And their mental health is kind of on the back burner. And that this is also true for partners, anybody who has a partner who's birthing for same sex couples as well. So whoever the partner is that is not the birthing person is in a position to kind of have to keep things together, hold stuff together to make sure that baby's okay and mom is okay. And then your own mental health stuff is kind of put off for a bit or maybe you can't attend to it the way you could have at some other point in your life. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And when I said, you know, it started, uh, you know, five years ago, people were laughing, how can men get post-depression? I'll be honest with you, you know, I didn't know I had post-depression until a doctor actually told me years later. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the full, you know, a real diagnosis. But even today, the thought, you know, I have, I've had flashbacks and nightmares about, about uh, my son dying, you know, my wife mm-hmm. dying. I've had, you know, the labor ward, the smell, you know, if I ever went into there, you know, it's, it's certain songs, you know, triggers sure. those times. And like I said, I, it doesn't happen to everyone. And I, I got to make a really, you know, everyone's totally different, but we chose not to have another child after that, you know, so we, because obviously yeah, what we went through and it, like I said, it, it, you know, it's, it may, and it could never happen again. But like I said, it was a case of our choice. So we, the thought of going through what we went through again. Yeah. yeah it was just, yeah. <laughs> could have well, split this focus up. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's exhausting, if nothing else, but also can be very scary, it sounds like from what you were, your experience from just being in the labor and, you know, all this, the repercussions, that's the word. Absolutely, absolutely. And the thing that's what I'm trying to change in the UK is the nice guidelines. We've got guidelines that says professionals follow this, this procedure for fathers and well, there's not one mention of fathers on our guidelines. 
So, like I said, you know, policies need to be changed. We know now the research says one in 10 fathers actually suffer from postnatal depression. But I believe it's more than that because a lot of fathers are not coming forward quick enough because, and then they actually get depression after the 12 months. So, you know, it manifests like myself, you know, five years later, manifests into other areas. And we know that suicide rates amongst men around this time is really high in the UK and especially in America too. So we need to think, you know, how many of these fathers actually go on? You know, we need more research. More research needs to be done in postpartum as a whole, as a whole family. So looking back on your perspective, I mean, now you have all this hindsight and you can see the kind of timeline of what was happening for you that right away you had the day of birth is when it started. And, you know, with the work that you've done and your own therapy and getting through this, you can go back in time. But looking back then, what would you be able to tell fathers now who maybe are in the early stages or have a, a wife who's pregnant or a, even for partners who have yeah. a wife who's pregnant, what would you tell them to be paying attention to for themselves? I feel that uh, a lot of mothers have said to me that he's not talking about it. I get that a lot, you know, oh, he's Mark, he's not talking, he's not telling me about what he, what he went through and all that. That's one of the things I totally get because obviously, you know, I, as, as a man, we try and be the, the strong one in the family and, you know, and, and um, like I said early on, you know, I was more concerned about my wife's, Michelle's depression than my own. You know, I didn't know. Right. What I know now is that, uh, you know, as soon as you're feeling, you know, low mood over the couple of next couple of days, you know, just speak to somebody, you know, go to the GP. Early prevention, it doesn't manifest into other areas. And also, like, we've got to remember it's an illness. You didn't ask for this illness. But a lot of fathers are not, you know, not speaking out about it. And, like, it's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, this. Right. you didn't ask for this. Right. And, the first thing I realized was I stopped worrying about what other people thought. Mm-hmm. And once I stopped worrying about what other people thought, that's when I, I really got the help then and talked about it. Right. Yes. So you, you brought up stigma earlier and that's a huge piece of this is, you know, what are people going to think, especially with work? And I think for men specifically, there's this, uh, it's for women too, but I think more so for men that it is kind of, if you're not well, it means you're weak or it's somehow speaking to your character as a man and you know that's a shame yeah uh, yeah yeah well i i come from a like a tough uh mining community uh coal miners you know so to be honest it was the best thing i ever done because among the men actually talk to me now about their own depression which i wouldn't never thought of you know this illness doesn't discriminate you know it affects anyone any walks of life yeah and that's what we got to realize is that you know it, it can affect anyone so like i said when i come out and told everyone about my depression it, it you know i it's surprising how many people around you are actually going through the same thing. But oh. once you start talking to the people, they do open up eventually. Like So one in four, we know at least one in four now we're going through. I feel it mm-hmm. it's higher now, yeah, because yeah. of the stigma. Yep. Right. And that's a strong piece of this. Nobody, I mean, half of it is, you know, you don't want to admit to other people, but sometimes we don't even want to admit to ourselves that we're having a hard time because, you know, that, for many, many different reasons. Either you have to stay strong for the family or you have to get to work, you have to you know, make money or whatever it is. But you made a very good point is that at some point, this will catch up to you if you don't address it sooner than later. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, 
a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, you know, if it doesn't happen this time, you know, if another trauma happens in your life, you know, like I said, like same as me and Brian, I believe that, you know, control that for years, but if something else happens, you know, it's another... Mm -hmm. So yeah... Early prevention, I always say to their fathers, just take control, take responsibility, and just go to the GP, go to your doctors, because the best thing that ever happened to me was when I got help. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, what a relief. I mean, that, and just by, you know, talking about it here, and I know you speak all over and wherever you can about it, and I love your passion to get the word out and to be telling fathers and to be able yourself, tell your story and show show that it's not weakness. It's actually strength to come out and say like, oh, hey, this thing is happening and I'm getting help for it. I'm getting yeah, yeah. better uh, because of it. And your quality of life is now, you know, way oh, better. Absolutely. And the good thing that came out of it actually was when I was under service, so when I went to see a psychiatrist, he was actually diagnosed with ADHD, mm. which is a condition I've had all my life. So Obviously, when I struggled in school with certain areas, I uh, was very good at sport. That was my passion. Yeah, so I've learned about, you know, the reasons behind that as well. So my low self-esteem have actually risen now because obviously for years, even going back the last couple of years, I still had low self-esteem, you know, from school and other things because yeah. of ADHD. So, so like I said, it's, it's well, a lot of good have come out of this bad experience. And I believe that, you know, a lot of these mothers and fathers who've actually experienced in depression are sometimes the best people actually to speak out about it as well because, you know, they, they're the ones who, what I can say is, are professors of their own illness, really, because they know, they know that what it really feels like and, and, and they more like to show empathy towards others as well in, in the field. I'm lucky enough to actually work with the Marcy president, Dr. Jane Hanley. So I've come to work with professionals now as well, so more clinic, so a bit of a clinical background now as well, more. And that's what I feel, you know, with the both of us, a professional and also myself, you know, it works well. It works really well. So I really encourage, you know, people with experiences like I have uh, to actually, you know, team up with other professionals because they want to hear it. They want to hear it, your stories, and you know, so we can get more research out there. 
for not just for this generation, for right. the generations behind this as well. Remember, I'm not doing this just for today. We've got to keep doing this and keep for our own children as well. Absolutely. Ugh. So true. It's so true. And I really love that you're taking a holistic in terms of the whole family perspective and you're wanting to collaborate with organizations. And who are you working with in the Yeah, so over five years, I've been working with the Matuna Mental Health Alliance in the early days, especially, which is an organization like that brings about 70 organizations together and we tackle like we got an economic report, but that actually says in the UK that if we invest £337 million per year into perinatal mental health services, it will actually save £8.1 billion. What? And that's for the mother and child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is an economic report, which I think America should have too. Yeah. Because early prevention is, it actually saves money and the government, this is what they want to save. They want to save money. But because 22% of that is on the mother and 78% is on the child's development, early development. Because we haven't even talked about the bonding and attachment, right. which is so important, especially in the early years as well. So, And that doesn't include the father, believe it or not. So, you know, I feel it's over 10 billion because yeah. obviously, you know, that doesn't say nothing about the father. So yeah, economic report is out there actually says that we can save money if early prevention services were in place. And I can actually say this now because I've been invited by the Royal Family's charity on Mental Health Day. Mm. This is not going to go out now till after later because I, I can tell you this because obviously uh, I've got to keep this because of security. So after the 10th of, 10th of October. Okay. Be fine. Yeah, yeah, so, okay. So Prince William actually came out and explained that father's mental health is so important on father's mental health, uh, sorry, Father's Day yeah. in 2016. And I've been yeah. invited by the charity. So yeah, things That's are developing so cool. more. So yeah, yeah, it's good. That's amazing. Your work yeah. is out there in such a yeah, way. It's, it's, the thing is, like I said, is, you know, the awareness means more to me. And, and when you've got a father or family saying, look, Mark, thank you. You know, that's priceless. Like, you know, absolutely priceless. Worth more money. And, you know, obviously, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely feeling. Like, you know, that even, even my sharing this story, I got fathers actually said, you know, Mark, I don't feel I'm alone. And that's a massive, yeah. massive thing. So, yeah, please, get, guys, share your stories. You know, get your stories up there. Like, you know, the podcast, the him, you know, she's doing. Just get your stories out there. Let's, let's all join together and uh, get the proper services that uh, should be done for families. You're so right. Oh my God. You almost made me cry. Yes. I know that feeling of having somebody reach out to you and say that, that they don't feel alone anymore or that they, oh my gosh, I now realize that that's what I was dealing with for two years or, you know, three years or however long. It's just, it takes us talking about this for other people to feel heard and seen and know that it's okay. And to step outside of, you know, their mind for a minute and say, oh my gosh, this is a thing. This is not just in my head. I'm not the only person here suffering and, and oh, there is help. I can get help. I can feel better. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think, like you said, we've got a lot of way to go. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it is starting, to, you know, the, especially I know in the UK is really building up now because it, like I go back to the economic report, the government will save money, right. with, you know, if they put early prevention in place, and that's good for everyone, really, you know. So, yeah, um, right. you know, just like I said, share your story. You know, it's about, you know, every story is totally different. So, like you said, my story is totally different to the next person. So, the mm-hmm. more people we can get forward, fathers, please share your story. 
Yeah. We need stories, and that's what I'm struggling to get at the moment. Is fathers come forward quick? So, if somebody wants to share their story with you or find you and connect with you online, how can they do that? Where can people find you? Yeah, you can Google, Google me, Mark Williams, reaching out pmh.co.uk. You can put in, but my Twitter is Mark Williams, R O W. Okay. And I'm on Facebook, different things. Yeah, if you look at fathers reaching out, you know, there's a lot of stories, you know, press and, and uh, stuff I've done on television and stuff like that. So, yeah, any help I can do, you know, in, in just, you know, just signposting, perhaps, you know, people like to yourselves or anything, you know, please just get in touch. You know, sure. I'd be more than happy to, to speak to you, like, you know, definitely. Awesome. So I will go ahead and put all of your contact information also in our show notes and I will connect all of your social media and all of your online stuff to contacts to this episode so that people can find you that way too. Oh, that's great. Yeah. What I do say is the quicker the help, the quicker recovery, you know, and it is an illness. So please just, just get, you know, go get help. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing your story and sharing your message and giving hope to fathers and letting them know that they're not alone. I mean, this is so necessary and so needed and that you are out there, you know, willing to be the voice for fathers is just so powerful and inspiring. And I thank you so much for being with us today. No, thank you, Kath. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Good luck with your work as well. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye. By joining us today and listening, you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom and Mind can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.